This is a special episode of Effing Shakespeare, recorded in collaboration with the 2021 AWP Conference and Book Fair. We're thankful to be the official podcast for AWP for a second year and have invited a gallery of guests that you don't want to miss out on. As always, please subscribe, rate, and review so we can continue to bring you interviews of amazing writers sharing about their amazing work. Enjoy. I'm Jessica Cole. I'm Fulu. I'm Kate Martin-Williams. And this is Effing Shakespeare. By writers. For writers. Amanda Mijos has a PhD in physiological ecology. She is the author of numerous award-winning short stories, essays, and the acclaimed novel, The Breeding Season, out from Allen and Unwin in 2019. I think you wrote on your website somewhere, but I think your website, this great question, does science belong in literary fiction? As a scientist, I never thought so, but as fiction connects with, connects with readers, enabling them to empathize with imagined lives, what better way to communicate? Welcome, Amanda. So Thank you. Sure. What a great quote. I love that. I love that quote. I want to put it somewhere in my house. <laughs> I have a crush on science, I say, so I have no degree. Degrees are in English and creative writing, but I, I have a crush on science, so I'm so... Excited to get into it with you. I want to ask the question that I've been thinking about since I finished reading your story, um, which is called Breeding Season, that won first place in the Victoria University Short Story Contest in 2017. And then your novel, The Breeding Season, was published just two years later. Could you give us the bold strokes of how that process, expanding a short story into a novel, finding publisher that you did, what, what that was like. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So my experience has, I mean, I think everybody's experience is different for as much as we try to read the formula online, like yeah. how to do it. But <laughs> so I was still working as a scientist when I started writing fiction in 2000. I think I took my first fiction class in 2014. And up until that point, I knew I wanted to do more writing, but I guess because I was a scientist and I wanted to think about communicating science, people kept pushing me towards the, the journalistic forms mm-hmm. of science communication, and it just wasn't my thing. And then I finally plucked up the courage to take a fiction course, and that was it. I, was, I loved it so much. Just the way that you can be anything and be anywhere and explore um, without bounds. Um, It's terrifying, but also thrilling, right? Yeah. And so I, I I was starting to sort of practice fiction and I had this idea about sort of expanding some of the scientific research I was working on at the time into into some sort of other form of communication than the academic papers that were probably going to come out of it. And so I was doing work on some species of marsupials, one of them mouse-sized and one of them more sort of large squirrel, small cat-sized. Is that the quoll? That's the northern quoll, yeah. And the mouse-sized ones are the antichinases. And these creatures are really interesting because they invest so much into their reproduction that they don't survive more than one breeding season. 
So at least for the, so that for the Northern quals, the males do this. They're interesting because the females actually live for two or three years and breed multiple times. So they, they hold something in reserve. Mm-hmm. And that fascinated me. Um, and I wanted to find a way to write about that reproductive biology, ideally in a story or in fiction. And it was, it was only, I was, I was working on different things. I had, I think I had a, a draft of a story that was written from the perspective of a qual <laughs> or like an interview with a qual. <laughs> yeah, it didn't work. <laughs> saying that though there are a lot of like really great Australian novels of the last couple of years that have taken on the voice of animals and it's worked really brilliantly but Mm. for me it it didn't (laughs) no like them up too yeah absolutely and so writing classes and it was in a it was in a class with Lydia Yuknovich actually that I managed to draft out the bones of what was the story breeding season. And as soon as I wrote that character, I knew she was the one. And I don't know. So I don't know if uh, I was coming from a science background. I was absolutely terrified of the idea of writing more than like 2000, 3000, 4000 words at a time. The story breeding season was by far the longest thing I'd ever written at that time. And that was 4,000 words. And I was just like, so proud of myself. And, and then I felt, felt like I wanted to keep going with her story, but gosh, how do you, how do you psych yourself up to write something that's like 60, 70, 80,000 words? It just, it was, uh, it was very much out of my comfort zone, but I managed to, to trick myself into doing it piece by piece, I guess. So it's a very long answer to your question. Of of tricking. I think tricking (laughs) yourself is the only way to take on any big project. Absolutely. But certainly out of our comfort zone. That's so cool. And I I mean, I feel like the short story is so perfect. Honestly, I, it really moved me and I felt like it was completely, absolutely complete, you know, almost like a, a pearl, but reading then that your novel expands it I was like yes I absolutely want to know what happens to the character and the marriage and yes I want to see Danny on the page and and more quals (laughs) (laughs) I'm so glad you did yeah thank you you, did you know about Alan and Unwin the press before you started yeah they're they're amazing they are an amazing press it's you know you found the right the right people when inevitably every book that they publish you're like wow I love that like I would have <laughs> I would have published that if I was a publisher you know so I I really felt when they made an offer on the book that these were my people and I was I was just so elated that's so cool it seems like the perfect fit and I'm so glad to know about you and that press because I didn't know about that press either. Did you have any support besides tricking yourself, besides your own trickery, as you were expanding your story into the novel? I guess I had, yeah. So I had I had two mentorships as I was writing the novel. One of them was with the AWP in one of the early 
Rider to Rider mentorship programs. It was in spring of 2016. And I had, I guess I had written the, the short story and I was trying to figure out how to kind of work it into something bigger. And I was chosen for mentorship by the writer Alice Siebold, which I remember, I remember getting the call from AWP, like, guess what? We've matched you and it's Alice Siebold. And I literally burst into tears because I was, I felt so <laughs> affirmed, right? Yeah, like, I'm like, what a dream. Cow. Such right? a good match too, honestly. You did a really good job. <laughs> so that, that was really phenomenal. She really, she just kind of like in those early stages, she, she kind of kept feeding me nuggets of inspiration. That sounds really awful, but it was no, like I, she would, she, yeah, like she would send me books. It's perfect. It's like a perfect yeah. analogy for scientists to make. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So she would send me, she would send me articles and books and we would talk about sort of philosophies. And, and that was really amazing. And then when I finally had a draft finished of the novel, she, she read it and, and then we, we got a blurb on the cover, which was phenomenal. I didn't know how you got that. I was going to ask how that Yeah. Happened. She was your yeah. mentor. She was my AWP mentor. Yeah. And yeah, then I also right. was fortunate at the other end of things to have a mentorship with the writer Chrissy Neen, who's an Australian author, who's, you have to look up her work. She's, yeah. she's one of my absolute favorites. Oh, very, very sort of body-based and, and lush and mm. interesting writing. She's always, what I love about Chrissy is that she's always changing forms to suit the story. So, and so her mentorship was with the, the Australian Society of Authors. Um, oh, and, cool. and that was like when I, when I was finished a draft of the novel and was sort of working through the edits. So it was, it was phenomenal to have those two mentors that's incredible. That's incredible. I'm so, really interested in hearing, I heard about, um, or I read about the Australia Council for the Arts yes. Resilience Grant that um, you received to develop the new creative writing and science cooperative, yes. I suppose. Can you talk yeah. about science right now, W-R-I-T-E? Yes. Yeah. So that was really exciting. It's something that my, my friend and colleague, Jessica White, and I had been talking about for a couple of years, but I guess COVID sort of, I mean, it affected us all and in, it has affected us all, continues to affect us all in, in many ways. But for us, it was kind of like, well, let's do this now. It sort of pushed us to, to finally pluck up the courage to, you know, ask for money for this thing that we felt it's, it's almost like, I feel like sometimes applying for a grant is, is like submitting your novel to publishers. You're like, I have this great, this great idea that I feel so passionately about. Please love it. Please like want to help us. <laughs> and, um, and, and so we finally did that. So Science Right Now is a writing publishing platform and community based around creative writing about science. We felt that this was something that was kind of lacking in the, in the world as far as we could see. And we just really wanted to start supporting 
the different ways of communicating science. Cause as you, as you know, as you read at the beginning, I'm, this is my passion. Like I just really love sort of supporting and exploring all of these different ways that we can talk about science that, that might sort of connect with people outside of the, you know, new scientist magazine or discover magazine. So, so yeah, so Jess and I applied for and won funding to kickstart our website and we've published three editions. We have, we've published quite established authors as well as brand new authors. We have poetry, craft essays, essays, um, excerpts. So we, one of the things that we're excited about is we, we translated for the first time from Japanese, not we, like I don't know Japanese, but <laughs> we, we connected with a woman who happens to be both a Japanese translator and a mathematician. And she translated part of a, a conversation between the famous Japanese novelist Agawa and a mathematician for the first time into English for us. Oh, so wow. just, we have all, all sorts of things on the, on the, the website. So we're really, we're really proud of it and we're, we're hoping to keep building it more and bigger all the time. <laughs> so have you firmly planted yourself in the literary world now? Or are you still working as a scientist also? Ah, see, I think <laughs> so. Yeah. I'm not a huge risk taker. So I like to, I like to feel, I like to, I finally feel like I have my weight balanced enough on the writing side that I can shift entirely into that space now. And actually I'm about to start a second PhD. So next time we talk, you have to call me Dr. Doctor. <laughs> but I'm about to start a second. I'll, I'll, I'll sing Dr. Doctor. So be careful. So be okay, careful. Okay. Okay. I'm going to, I'm going to call you up on that later. <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm about to start a PhD in creative writing. So writing. Yeah. Where? And Where? I'm at, at the University of Queensland. So I only do my PhDs at the University of Queensland. No. Yeah. <laughs> only place to become a doctor, doctor. Yeah, only, only place. Yeah. It's on the practice of writing and the experience of reading science and fiction. So this is, I'm so excited about it. Oh my gosh. I want to have a I want to read everything. I, <laughs> I find the whole idea of, of telling stories through, through science, not science fiction, but this, you know, scientists doing their work in the world. So incredibly evocative. It feels like so much information can be relayed with so kind of little I don't know what it is. There's some sort of reticence working against it in some way because, and I don't know why that feels like a different metaphoric construct than speaking about relationships and work using other metaphoric tropes. I don't know what it is, but it, it feels extra special. And, but I have a hard time describing that I, I, I had a hard time in my PhD which was also science and writing do you find that do you find it's easier to to write the story or or the essay rather than explaining it to people or at this point and maybe because you have an actual scientific PhD that do you find it easier to make those connections more real for people in in speaking in narrative in in like you know one-on-one -on -one narratives no, it's really interesting because I can, 
I guess I can talk about I can talk about the the biological principles or the scientific principles um, in the way that I was sort of describing the the way that those marsupials, the northern quolls, sort of breed. But I think that it's like there's so much more, mm-hmm. and it doesn't really. I mean, the thing that fiction does is it it really it allows you to see. I think how these these ideas fit into your everyday life in, in meaningful ways. And I could, I could sit here and tell you those things, but like fiction allows you to experience them for yourself. And I think that that's so much more powerful. It's more of a, there's, there's less of a power differential, I think, Mm -hmm. than if, if I'm like, well, I have a PhD in biology and I'm going to tell you about these animals. It's like, it's like, here, come and, come and see, you know, come and sit with me and let's like experience this together. Yeah. I, love and that. I think I, I always felt more comfortable hearing or receiving information from scientists who mm. could tell stories, mm-hmm. you know, who, who were good at that sort of human connection that comes from storytelling, you yeah. know? So I, I feel like it works on both sides, right? Yeah. Absolutely. It, yeah. Yes. Can you read Absolutely. some to us? We'd love to hear some of whatever I you would read be- to us. Yes, I do. I have, um, so I have a little section from the beginning. Here's the breed. Oh, it's backwards, no. but no, it's there's not. Cool. The oh, it's, it's not. It is gorgeous cover. <laughs> cover. Isn't it beautiful? Yes. Beautiful. That was another moment I cried when they sent me the cover because I was terrified. I was, I'd, I'd been hearing all those horror stories about getting your cover and it's and they sent this and I opened it and I was just, they nailed it. It was nailed so perfect. Man. Yeah. And so I'm going to read just a short bit from the, there's a prologue. So before we actually move into the, the main story. Elise picks her way through the bush where the scrub rises up at the end of the trap line towards a small peninsula made of high rock. After setting the last of the small mammal traps, she will take her daughter from the carrier on her back and set her on her lap and gaze from the cliff brink over the ocean, the blue-green gulf, placid and deadly. She will tell her child a story, as she does each afternoon around this time, about the seabirds that wheel over crystalline water or the quals that scamper through the forest at dusk or Dan. The world is not as quiet as it used to be. There is no real quiet anymore, but a constant chatter of words, not words. The flow of sentences with no true meaning, but which convey, in the process, everything there is to say. The kick of feet against her back as she walks. Fingers tangled in her hair. To have the weight behind is strange, Elise thinks. How mass shifts around the body, internal to external, and how the body adjusts to these things remembers what was there before. How impermanent the human form, its scars growing fainter with time, like the new pink stretch marks on her abdomen, already paling, or the chafe on her hip where the carrier rubbed in those first days before the skin grew over smooth and shiny. Is it crazy that I want to cry (laughs) to know that Elise has a daughter after reading the story? (laughs) Uh, no that's beautiful (laughs) wow 
Yeah. Thank you. There's so much there. Do you, do you feel that, that using science is a way to hide a, a little bit in a way that's helpful as, as an author, whereas being a researcher, it's very much like, especially grant writing and things like, this is my idea, here I am, here's all of my research, it's just a sort of forced ownership in a way that fiction I mean you've talked about the freedom of it but I, I feel like there's almost I, when I read the line about the quals about such a gorgeous line sort of shuffling from dark to dark I was like that sort of feels like writing to me you know? <laughs> <laughs> it's not to be finished or perfect yet I can just scuttle around in the dark for a while yep. yeah oh it's that's so true actually yeah <laughs> absolutely yeah I guess it's interesting because the scientific concept always seems to come first and then it takes me a long time to find the story that that fits it so I guess I I use this metaphor a lot and I I think I even used it in my AWP panel about you know writing science and fiction is like baking spinach into brownies which I used to do to my daughter when she was little I had all of those cookbooks that are like how to feed your child vegetables without them knowing and (laughs) oh that's really good right and I so I always start with the patch of spinach outside and then I'm like hmm you know what recipe is really going to make this spinach invisible (laughs) but actually like I mean, okay, I don't want to continue with the spinach metaphor too much, but like, I don't want the science necessarily to be invisible. I just want it to be palatable. Mm-hmm. I want it to be so well integrated that, that the reader is like, oh, that's kind of cool. Or like, oh, I might, you know, I didn't, I didn't know that before, or I might want to sort of read more about that. But yeah, it's, it's interesting. Cause I, at the moment I'm working on my second novel and, and the science in this, so, so the breeding season, every bit of science in the breeding season is work that I've done myself at some stage in my life. The novel I'm working on now is, is all based in physics and epigenetics, neither of which I've worked on in my life. So I'm <laughs> totally throwing myself out. Of, so you're um, saying you're going to get a third PhD <laughs> in physics, yeah. <laughs> no, but isn't that the fun thing about writing is that you get to sort of put on all these different hats all the time. Yeah, uh, for sure. Yeah, my, the novel I worked on for my dissertation is narrated by a theoretical physicist and I don't think that I have ever taken one physics class, even in high school. I think I somehow settled out of it, but yeah, it's a really fun way to sort of armchair, armchair travel and armchair, you know, study and, and just follow our, our inclinations wherever. And our characters tell us a lot too, what what they want to be. Didn't totally. Going to, I didn't start out saying I'm going to write about a theoretical physicist, but he showed up. He's like, this is what I am. I'm like, okay. He's like, oh, and I failed. I failed. Damn one. you. <laughs> so good luck. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Off to the library for you. <laughs> but you wish you had taken high school physics. Yeah. <laughs> I, took, I took physics at uni and... 
Yeah, no. It probably, I, yeah. It's not, I mean, hopefully it'll help you. I don't know if it will. No, no. It changes <laughs> so much and it changes so quickly that it does. To, like, go back constantly and revise. And I mean, it's set in a certain time period, but things that I either, you know, found out then that I found out now are wrong, even. Anyway, whatever, it's too boring. Mm. <laughs> but yeah. It's no, no. You know, it's an, a self-obsoleting kind of science, as probably all science is, which is Absolutely. maybe why it marries so well with, with fiction, which also feels like, you know, as much as we want it to last is uh, leading <laughs> and of the moment and all of that. Yeah. <laughs> I know, it's so hard. I... I as a as a debut novelist to to watch like your book you start to see your book places and then your book disappears from those places <laughs> it's really confronting and then you're like let's write another one which will then yeah that's right. <laughs> throw it into the void <laughs> you did yeah you didn't know the breeding season was going to be a metaphor for another yet another yes. part of exactly <laughs> It is a delight to know you, Amanda. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, thank you. This has been really, really lovely to speak to you guys. We will be, we will be waiting anxiously for the next book and hope to stay in touch. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Absolutely. Thank you very much. You're welcome to great Amanda Niehaus. Last but not least, (laughs) Dr. Doctor. Dr. Doctor. Dr. Doctor. This has been a live recording of the Effing Shakespeare podcast by Bloomsday Literary at the 2021 AWP Conference and Book Fair. Effing Shakespeare is a production of Bloomsday Literary in association with Houston Creative Space, hosted by Kate Martin Williams and Jessica Cole, and produced by me, Fulu. Our trusty and hardworking intern is Sanditi Sedan. Please subscribe, rate, and review wherever podcasts are found. Please.